when you came to this earth, came as a baby, as a child, as a young adult, or that you grew up here among us. I pray that you would guide and direct our words this morning as we think about those early, early stages of your presence on this earth. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to open here with a little, don't look at the outside of the book. It's, it's my, this is, every year my wife and I would get each other a book and um, this one, the title is How to Exasperate Your Wife. I don't know what she was trying to do, although she signed it inside and said, I think you're pretty good at this already. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to read a, uh, an ex- excerpt out of this. Just saw this the other day, but I, I think it's important to understand because see, we're still in Luke chapter 2. And as we're in Luke chapter 2, this Christmas story, we started it last week, we're still in it. I'm not here because it's Christmas time. I'm here because at this church we preach through the Word of God. It's called expository preaching. And so right now we're in Luke. We just started Luke. We're in Luke chapter 2. We're working our way through because here we're focused on what do the Scriptures say. And my whole goal as a pastor is to dig into what do these Scriptures say, what do they mean, and come up here and teach those things to you that we together might learn more and more about who this Christ is. In fact, specifically with Luke, I think that God has directed us to this particular gospel because I think it's important right now that we remember who this Jesus is that we're following after, okay? But now, in order to get that, I realized as I was struggling my way through this passage this week, because, and I have to be honest, it's difficult sometimes with a familiar passage to really think about, okay, God, what do you want me to talk about? Because it would be one thing if I was teaching a Sunday school class, because I could just teach and tell you what's going on in this passage, and we get to the end, and I'd, I'd go, well, okay, we'll pick this up next week where we're at. But a sermon's got to, I, I know that you know this, but a sermon's got to feel sometimes like it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? Like, I know that you come here and you're wanting, what's the point? Matt, tell us the point. Make it snappy because I'm sleepy. Well, to get the point, I think there's something very important to, to help us work past the familiarity of this Christmas story. So I'm thinking all the way back through, all the way back to Genesis, okay? Now, the author of this particular book, his name is Doug Wilson. He writes this, and I want you to think about this. He says, he says when Adam rejected the goodness of God in the garden, okay, that's a true historical event. Adam rejected the goodness of God in this garden. He did so because his wife had been deceived by a lying worm. Now, that's not to mean like a literal earthworm, okay? I'm using some words that some of you, if you've, if you've read uh, the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lord of the Rings, you hear the word worm, and you know that that can refer to like a dragon, okay? In fact, if you know the story of the Hobbit, some of you are like, nope, never read it. I'm sorry, you're missing out, I just got to say. But the great dragon was called the worm, smog, the worm. Now, listen carefully, because there's, some, there's something important here in big, grand stories that applies to our actual lives. He did so because his wife had been deceived by a lying worm. If you know the story of Genesis, that's what happened, right? The serpent in the garden, the snake in the garden, and deceived her. 
This worm, this serpent, was a fallen seraph, what we would call a dragon. And I can give you several references where the Bible uses that particular term. Don't get confused. Don't think fire-breathing flying lizard. But there's a little bit of that in there. But God promised, all the way back in Genesis, that's where it started. The first promise came just after the fall. God promised that worm that the seed of the woman and the brood of vipers would be in a constant state of war from that point on. And honestly, when you look at everything bad in this world, and you want to understand why, that's where its roots are at. Sin entered the world, and God said we would be in a constant battle from that point until, right, He promised further that a, listen to this, I love this. He promised further that a great prince would come from the seed of the woman and finally and completely crush the head of the serpent. And if you know Genesis, you know that's almost literally what it says. He would himself be grievously wounded in the contest, but in the conquest, but that conquest would nevertheless come to pass. Now let me ask you, does that sound familiar? An anointed one would come. He would slay the dragon and get the girl. Does this sound a little fairy tale-ish to you? It does, doesn't it? Do you understand that one of the reasons why stories like that resonate to us is because it's written into the very fabric of our reality? God has promised that a great chosen one, an anointed one, would come. That promise lasted for thousands of years, giving us a little bit more each time the promise was revealed. And the people of Israel were expecting, they were believing it, not just as a myth, not just as a fairy tale, but they believed it would happen. The prince would come and slay the dragon. In the Old Testament, But more specifically in the New Testament, the church is portrayed as the girl, the bride of Christ. So in a very real way, when we look at the Christmas story, we're looking at the grandest story ever told. And I'm only sharing this because I know that it's easy to become so accustomed to this story and so accustomed to driving by and seeing those little manger scenes that you forget We are in the middle of an amazing story. And it's not done yet. It's still unfolding. I'd like you to, you can look in your Bibles. I have it up here, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read through this ever so familiar story, but I want you to think about it in those. Just start getting into, if you have to, fairy tale mindset, folklore mindset something big. Try to get yourself into the mindset of what those people, were, where they were at. We, we have that still today because what was the song we were just singing? What was the repeated phrase? Lord Jesus, what? Come. 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 We have a much clearer understanding than they did, but they were very much expecting an anointed one to show up. The line of David 
this conquering king, a prince. They were hoping he would slay what was evil in this world. So enter into that. Last week we talked about the first seven verses here, but I'm going to reread them to you so that you can think through this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Oh, so important. Don't, don't miss those little important elements. The great prince would be of the line of David. He would come, the anointed one, the chosen one. We talked about this last week, how they were in the wrong city. And God moved the pawns of great kings and emperors like Caesar Augustus to accomplish his purposes. Caesar Augustus, who was the most important. Caesar Augustus, who himself had proclamations that he was the savior of the world. We have actual inscriptions of those things. People called him the father of the nation. And he called himself the savior of the world. But this unknown couple, unknown to the world, they were in the wrong town, but God is orchestrating, getting them to the right city. So they up, they move, they go down to Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, who was betrothed, who was with child. And, all, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, not clothes, it's cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, they were filled with great fear. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth. And, oh, I, I just read this one. What happened? Got to repeat. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. Did I read this one too? Yeah. And the angel of the Lord said to them, sorry, stupid computers, fear not. If you were here last week, you know the pain and the behind that computers have been to me. And I thought everything was smooth. No, Matt, calm. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Remember that phrase. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Only time we see that combination of words in the entire New Testament. Savior, Christ, and Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Expecting something big, a sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It might sound a little different than what you're used to, but that's important as well. And the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, as you would, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, I want to go back through here. And as I go back through, I want to answer three questions. One is, why the shepherds? Why were they the ones that God decided to announce this amazing? If this is as big of a deal as I'm building it up to be, why shepherds? Okay. Question number two, why these words? What, what about those words that those angels said? It's a very unique combination of words. We want to answer those things. In fact, let's think about those words again. What do they say? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, in the original, the word the is there. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, cloths, and lying in a manger. And then later when they sing, what do they say? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Again, that might sound a little different than the way you've heard it. But the wording there is very important. There's a third question I'd like to answer. What do we do with this information? What are we going to do with this? Well, I'm going to answer these in reverse. I'm going to focus first on the message of the angels. Then we're going to go back to um, the shepherds. And then we'll go to what do we do about this. But I need to throw a couple more historical elements in there. I could easily get bogged down with some of these historical elements, but I think that they're absolutely essential to add to the feel of this story. And I don't mind working on the feels today, okay? First of all, the in. The word the in, there's no room for them in an in. The word in is, is more likely represented, it's a word that's quite often used to represent an upper room or an upper chamber of a house, Think for us, the guest bedroom. It's quite possible, in fact, I think it is highly likely, not essential, but highly likely, that this Mary and Joseph, as they traveled down to Bethlehem, right, that's where, that was like hometown. What do you expect? Where, do you, where, do you, where are they going to probably going to stay? Where do you guys stay when you visit another town? Where do you stay? With who? Relatives, if they'll have you, right? <laughs> No joke. I think, I believe, they wouldn't have them. It was a guest room, and I think that they were going to stay with family, and there was no room. What kind of family wouldn't make room for a pregnant woman that was part of the family? I think there was scandal associated with Mary, was there not? I think the family said, nope, we don't have room. Another one, the manger. Some of you know this one already, the manger, most likely a cave. In fact, I want to say, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but sheep in this area, in fact, there's some, there's some ancient writings that talk about between um, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Sheep in that area were most likely 
going to be ones that were going to be used for sacrifice during the different feasts and the ceremonies that they would have. And so, so in that area, they have these caves. And usually the caves were actual birthing caves for young lambs. Are you loving the symbolism here? I think this is the case. Once again, not essential. But when you start studying what, what these things probably meant, that's most likely, that's a high probability that, that we're talking about a, a ceremonial lamb's birthing cave. And you know what would happen when a lamb in that area was born in one of these birthing caves? You know what would happen? The, the shepherds would come. And in fact, the shepherds in this area, we have uh, some, uh, some other ancient documents talking about the shepherds in that area would have most likely been Levite shepherds of the tribe of Levi. And they would come and they would inspect the lamb to see if it was without blemish. Because if it was out without blemish, it could be used for sacrifice. I think I'm answering one of my questions already, a possibility. Might be filtered in there. If the lamb was found to be without blemish, those shepherds would many times wrap that lamb up in a word that is, can be translated swaddling cloths to protect it from any possible blemishes to keep it without blemish for the purpose of the sacrifice. Which brings me to the third thing, this, these swaddling cloths. I think there's two possibilities for these cloths that this baby Jesus was wrapped in. There's one I just gave you. Cloths that were used for a ceremonial lamb that was born without blemish. That's pretty cool by itself. There's another possibility, though. And this is the one I lean towards. In those days, when you traveled, this might sound odd to us, but in those days, when you traveled, you would, you would wrap around your robes your, these, these, these strips of linen. The purpose of these strips of linen were ceremonial burial cloths because it was very important. If you were to, die, if you were to travel out and you were to pass away, you would need to be wrapped correctly according to ceremony, and so people would travel with their burial cloths. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. So it's quite possible that what Jesus was wrapped in were Joseph's, his earthly father's, burial cloths and laid in a cave. Now, all of these things, once again, all of these things are not essential. I, you go, Matt, well, what about, what about? I, I'm telling you, this is the highest probability. As I've looked through, dug through, this is the highest probability of what these things are talking about. And I share them with you, not, to, not for you to just walk away with just that information, but I share this with you for the specific purpose of enhancing the, the feel of the magnitude of this story that the anointed one, there was a lot of things that God was working in this story, and it was perfect. And the more you dig into his story, the more you just go, and you guys did it. I heard you. Hmm. Did you hear that? I heard you do it. Here's some new little element. You go, hmm, what's that sound? That sounded like light bulbs going on, going, interesting. Now, let's break apart what the angels said. We're going somewhere with this, trust me. 
They say what? Angel said to them, these shepherds, these shepherds who were, were outcasts, shepherds as much as they were important for this area, for the things I already mentioned, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but shepherds were considered to be outcasts. They were ceremonially unclean. They could not participate in things because of their lifestyle and how they worked. They would never have the time to get ceremonial, ceremonially clean to participate in different feasts and ceremonies, Okay. And so here they are. They're the ones that God has decided to announce this to. And this angel shows up to them. And there they are out there in the middle of the night. And what happens? The angels show up. Oh, wow. Okay, now, I'm sorry, but my, uh, my years of watching um, It's a Wonderful Life, I, and I'm talking about angels and the bell is ringing. So I'm just saying. <laughs> I tried to ignore it. I really tried, guys. I couldn't do it. I, um, but these angels show up, and it's not a little bling like that. When angels show up in the Bible, what do people do? They are afraid. So the first words that you see here, them needing to say, fear not, don't be afraid. That would get kind of challenging as an angel. When every time you go, I, I got to go down and talk to some people, and every time you go, you're like, oh, I'm going <laughs> to, every time. I wonder if they joked about it later. Like, oh, man, you should have seen them this time. <laughs> You would not believe what they did to their robes. Um, uh, so but they show up and fear not. Angels all throughout scriptures, they have to show up and start off this way. We've already had two other angelic meetings in Luke already, and the angels had to start off that way. Fear not, don't be afraid. Is that fear not simply because, again, I'm not here to hurt you. I think it's a, a testament to the presence of God and that glory of his righteousness and, and showing up before them and these sinful people when encountering these beings, are immediately full of dread, just at the sight of righteousness. But they, like all humans, are afraid, and they have to say, don't be afraid. And then they use this where they say, um, I bring you good news. Now, I thought I had, it's not showing up underneath it. I had the, the Greek words underneath this for you guys to see. This particular one is interesting. It looks like the word evangelize. Like if you were to see it, you go, you go, man, it kind of looks like the word evangelize. That's where we get our word evangelize. This word that's translated good news right here is the word that we eventually also get translated as gospel. This became known in the Christian world. This good news was the summary word we would use when we preach the good news of Jesus Christ specifically. Not just any good news, but the gospel. And here's one of the first encounters of it in connection with Jesus right off the bat. The good news. I bring you good news. What kind of good news? Good news of great joy, real joy. If you're wondering what kind of news this is, it's of huge magnitude. In fact, the word for great here is the, the Greek word mega. Good news of mega joy. That's what he's saying here. And what will it be? It will be for all the people. Now, the word the is there in the original. There's a definite article. In fact, one of my commentaries said that the angel did not say all people, but all the people, and that definite article distinguishes these people from other people. So what people is he talking about? This was a very common statement for God's people all throughout the Old Testament. This was God's people. This is good news for God's people would be a way that we could say this. So keep that in mind. This is not some shallow joy over Christmas magic. And unfortunately, I think I have a slide here I forgot to take out. I was going to get rid of this one. I left it in there. I'm sorry. 
This is what some of us think when we think of joy, though, isn't it? Like, Santa's coming! That's not what we're talking about here. That's nothing compared to the joy that God is talking about. Although we need some of that, though, don't we? We could use some of that, couldn't we, thinking about Jesus? I, I wish we could get a little bit more of that when we're here on Christmas and we're talking about Jesus. I would love it if some of you, did, that's how you acted. That's how you should be acting when we're talking about Jesus coming. You should be like, Jesus is coming! He's here. He's here. That's how some of you ought to evangelize, go around and tell people. I'm kind of glad I, glad I left that in there now. Um, they go on from this, not, not this joy, great joy for all the people, all God's people. And then so they give some more explanation. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The unto you, it's to the shepherds. And we're talking about those shepherds a little bit. Did you know that shepherds weren't even allowed in courtroom situations? in this time period? Like if there was a court case and they needed a witness and the only witness was a shepherd, they'd say, well, you can't. Shepherds were so considered such a low class that they're like, they're just a bunch of thieves and liars and we can't trust a word that they say. So they were actually literally, because of rabbinical law at that time, they were not allowed in court situations to be a witness. Which doesn't help my understanding of why God chose them. It kind of goes against it a little bit, because like if they're not even reliable witnesses, why would God choose them to be his witnesses? Yeah, there's something there, I think. Hold on to that little tidbit as well. It's important that this angel says, it's to you. Come back to that in just a minute. A Savior, oh, unto you. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. One of the commentaries that I read said this combination of titles here is unique. Savior, Christ, and Lord do not appear together in any other New Testament text. This is the one place. So why did these angels choose that particular combination of words? Let's examine first. Savior. In the Old Testament, this word was used, if it was talking about people, it would be talking about a deliverer, one who would deliver someone from peril, usually a judge in the book of Judges, once it's used of a king, King Jehoshaphat, normally this word was used to describe God himself when God would deliver the children of Israel from peril, whether it be from disease or an enemy, God was their deliverer, their savior. And so the angel begins this calling of this one who has come by saying he's a savior, a deliverer. Second term there is this word Christ. This is the Greek word for the Hebrew word for Messiah, the anointed one, literally. Now, it wasn't until near the end of the Old Testament and during the, that intertestamental period between after Malachi and before Christ actually came, that Messiah came to be known specifically because it was just an anointed one. But it came to be known among the Jewish people as the anointed one, the chosen one, the prince who will come and slay the dragon, the one. There's lots of little ones, but there's only one, the one, the chosen one, the anointed one. And these angels are making sure that they know he's a savior who is the chosen one, the Christ. Third, he is Lord. Lord. 
Luke has already used the term Lord more than a dozen times already in this book that we're reading. What chapter are we in? Chapter what? Two. He's already used this term more than a dozen times, and always with reference to the Lord God. But this was the first time that the words Christ and Lord had ever been brought together. It was an unprecedented combination. Jesus is the Lord Christ. This meant that the promised and anointed Savior was none other than God himself appearing in the flesh. Can you imagine waiting for the anointed one, the chosen one, and finding out in this statement, or at least going, like you guys did earlier, hmm, hmm, wait a minute. So the, sa- the Messiah, the chosen one that's going to save us, is God himself? He, he, he's not just, it's not just a David like we thought of David. I wonder how many, how many uh, these shepherds maybe knew passages of scripture, like for the one, for example, where David is talking about the Lord says to my Lord, and he, he's, he's, he's talking, calling this one that would eventually sit on the throne, his Lord. He might have gone, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Maybe this one that's coming is the Ancient of Days. God himself to save us. What's going to be the sign? The sign for them would be a little anticlimactic, unless maybe you know what some of these things mean. What's going to be the sign for you? You'll find a baby. That already, that would, I mean, if you started putting the pieces together, if you were those shepherds and you started putting those pieces together, wait, the, the, the Messiah, the one we've been talking about, we wait, we've been waiting for. A Christ that's Lord, Christ Lord. And he's our Savior. And he's coming, he's starting off this as a baby. Would your mind just, maybe you have another, at least another, hmm, Ooh. There's a guy named um, the Venerable Bede, B-E-D-E, lived about the year 700. He wrote concerning this. He said, it should be carefully noted that the sign given the Savior's birth is not a child enfolded in Tyrian purple, but one wrapped around with rough pieces of cloth, which we could have been what? burial cloths that Joseph happened to have with him, or maybe it was birthing cloths in that birthing cave for those young lambs. He's not to be found in an ornate golden bed, but in a manger or a literally trough. Some of you knew that already. I think there's some symbolism there. The one who has come to be the bread of life begins his days in a feed trough. The meaning of this is that he did not merely take upon himself our lowly mortality, but for our sakes took upon himself the clothing of the poor. And I think we're starting to get, if if nothing else, I think we're starting to capture 
the answer to that second question. Like these words are telling us why those shepherds, because little did they know their king, their prince who would slay the dragon, would not come in initially sword drawn. Something else needed to happen to slay the dragon and destroy sin and death. A savior needed to be a second Adam, stand up to the temptation, to take the penalty for the sin of the world. That was our prince, what he was going to do initially. Will he come again? We were singing about it. Is he going to come again eventually with the sword drawn? Yes. But first, something else needed to happen to defeat the power of the dragon, to defeat the power of death. It was to those shepherds, the Lord Christ, who is our Savior, was born. What did the angel say? To you. And to you is born this day. Ordinarily, a baby is born to a family. They are the ones who receive the gift of the child's life. In this case, however, the child was for the shepherds and for their salvation. But he was not for them alone. We can look at those outcasts, those shepherds, those scoundrels, untrustworthy, couldn't even testify in any legal fashion. We can look to those shepherds and realize he was not for them alone. So if he's going to go to them, and I hope, and I think Luke would have you, if he was here today, he would say, I hope that you can hear this and go, if God would announce himself to them, he might announce himself to me. I hope that you see those shepherds and you go, I can be part of this. I get to be part of this. And what a different story this would be if Jesus showed up in the, the royal chambers. What if, he, what if he decided, you know, I'm not going to be born, I'm not going to go through that whole messy process. Let's just, I'm just going to appear as a baby. I'll still grow up, but I'm just going to... Royal beds, silk sheets. You may be going, I don't even know what silk is. Don't worry, a few hundred years you'll know, and it's wonderful. Let's put the baby in it. Golden palace, treated royally. What a different story it would be for us. I'm looking around, and I hope that you're looking at yourself and thinking, man, the fact that he came to the shepherds, if nothing else says, this is for me too. This is for me too. If the lowest of the low are included in the good news, then I can be included too. What should we do? What are our reactions to this truth? Now, the angels, they had a certain reaction. I wonder, I don't know. I wonder if that one angel came to tell the shepherds and the host was already there, unseen. There's examples of that in the Old Testament, isn't there? Particular times where God had to open a prophet's eyes or a king's eyes and look, no, really look, and he would see the host everywhere. I wonder if they were there already but could not contain themselves at the announcement. 
God is doing this and beginning this. And I wonder if the angels themselves, the, the gloria that they're going to pronounce was less in connection with just what was happening, but more in connection. The, the reason why there was an outburst, I can't help but wonder if there was an outburst because of who it was given to. And they're like, we got to get in on this too. God is amazing that he's doing, because they knew what he was doing. Can you imagine their, 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 their feelings on it? Like, like, I know, like this is, this, is huge. this is the biggest event that's happened in all of human history to this point. Who's God going to announce it to? And they find out, maybe through the, did you hear who they're sending? They're sending, he's, oh, who are they announcing it to? The, the shepherd? And then when the angel shows up and he announces it to the shepherds, and the shepherds are sitting there, for, you know, they're scared, and then they get up, okay, and they're, they're listening to this, and they hear they pronounce it, and I think the rest of those angels are just like, Tadmah. It was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God at the good news of the gospel message to these poor shepherds, and they just burst forth. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, think about this, peace among those. Now, you may have heard this differently. How did you hear this growing up? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? It's very specific here, the way this is being stated. I think I have, I don't have it in here. Let me read a quote for you from a, a theologian named Leon Morris. His, his particular commentary digs into the language that's being used. He says, The angels are saying that God will bring peace for men on whom his favor rests. It's, it's important that it's, it's that. So it's, and I think it's being displayed right now because, because who did God, God could have proclaimed it. I mean, he could have like showed up everywhere across the whole globe. That's what I would have thought would have happened. But he doesn't. He shows up, not even to the whole globe, but just here. And not to everybody, but just to these people. And so the angels can't help but say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those who, those people whom he chooses to bless. Leon Morris goes in to say there's an emphasis on God, not man. It is those whom God chooses rather than those who choose God of whom the angel speaks. Peace, of course, means peace between God and people, that healing of this estrangement caused by human evil. But it's just amazing that God specifically, he said, I, I'm going to reveal this to you. For those shepherds going, we've got to figure out if there's a Messiah being born tonight. Were they doing that? Now, by their reputation, I hate to think what they were actually doing. Late, some of you, you've worked some late shifts before, right? You've worked those late nights. You've had some unmentionable conversations with your buds. But what does God do? He shows up to them. So what do we do? I think we can see... I want to close with this, these few ideas here. What do, we, what do we do today hearing this? 
think we see some examples of what we could do. First is when the angels would go away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, as you would, I think. They didn't go, well, what's for supper? They said, you know, what's midnight break is coming up? What do they do? They go, we should go to Bethlehem and see this. That the Lord has made known to us. I mean, he made it known to us. We should go see what this is. I think a first thing that you ought to do, if you're sitting here today and you're hearing this story, maybe you've heard it for a hundred times. Maybe, maybe you've contemplated it before. I think most of you in this room are, are those who've said, I, I believe this story. But I'm telling you right now, if, you, if you're on that borderline, maybe at least do this investigation. I should look more into this. I should investigate the reality of this. Investigate the humility of Christ. Are these things true? Investigate the love of Christ. That's what they did. But they really did it. I've known many people that hear these truths and they go, I should look into this, and they never do. But they, what, do they, what do these shepherds do? Do they, do they just say it? No, what do they do? They do it quickly, as you should. If this is true, you should make haste and quickly go and seek out the truth of this. What happens next after some investigation? They go, they see it. What do they do next? I, and by the way, I can't blame them for needing to go see it. I'm, I'm kind of like that myself. People tell me stuff, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. I got to see it. I think it's my 19 years of teaching math. I'm like, you, it's got to add up. I don't believe it until I see it. That's what they did, and that's okay. Dig into it. You will not be disappointed when you investigate the story of Christ the historical elements, the reality of this historic, true historical event of a baby being born, of a virgin, of living purely, facing temptation in all points the same way that we have, yet without sin, of going to a cross, being crucified, these things happened. What do they do after they hear it? They go and tell. So maybe a second response you might have is, I need to tell somebody about this. Think back to Elf, right? Some of us need to have a little bit more of that, don't we? Oh, this is true. You get work going. This is coming. It's coming. <laughs> okay, you might not want to do that. Scare some people away. Some people respond the way the people that hear this secondhand do. I think this is a very common response. Wonder. Wonder about it. I think they wonder about it because of the source. That's okay, because that's who God chose to spread the story, isn't it? I don't like it when I tell a story to somebody and they, they, they wonder at me. See, I, I do that to them when they tell me something, but when they do it to me, I don't like it. It bothers me. I don't know why. It's pride, I guess. But, but let's be honest. You start going around telling people about Jesus and all the good that he's done and how great he is because of the way our world exists and their view of Christianity and church, they might look at you and wonder. 
But just like the shepherds, you're the ones he's chosen. You're the, you're the ones that are here, hearing the story, hearing who he is. You're the ones that know about it. And that person at work that seems so smart, that doesn't buy it yet, they don't know it. And God chose you to be the one to tell them. And they might look at you and go, yeah, but I know you. But that can add to it, can it not? That's the, that's the best part about the whole good news story. And that ought to be the best part to you. God is so good. And tell your friend at work, that's why I love the story. Because I'm a reprobate. But justified because of what Christ did for me. And I know that there's peace because I can stand before God righteous, not because of anything I've done. And you can look at your friend and go, because you know me, right? I mean, you know. And they go, yeah. Where's your confidence? Because of Christ. He came. He died. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself. And all my confidence is right there. I'm banking it all on him. But there's one more reaction I want to share with you that I hope every single one of you follow this final example of Mary. Mary did two things. Treasured and pondered. Do you see that in there? Treasured, pondered. Philip Ryken, one of my commentators, put it this way, and he did it so much better than I did, I had to steal one more quote for the day. He writes this. He says, Mary believed at the shepherds, but she did not fully understand what they were saying. This is important. The word treasure, and this is what he bases this on, the word treasure indicates that she was holding on to the words of the gospel by faith. I, I know for a fact that many of you, that's where you reside. You know the words of the gospel. There's aspects of it that you don't quite grasp, but you go, I'm holding on to it. By, I'm treasuring these truths. But the word ponder shows that she still had some things to think about. This word refers to a person who is puzzled by what they have heard, but keeps it in mind in order to understand, often with divine help, its meaning. It is an indication of an extended period of sustained reflection by someone trying to make sense and plumb the depths of all that she had experienced. Mary had a faith that was seeking to understand. I share this final point with you, this final example of Mary, because I know many people reside on the edge of faith. And one of the things that holds people back, and I'm sharing this with you not just for your own sake, but for others that you encounter and you talk to and you share with, understand, like Mary, it's very possible to grab a hold. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, it's impossible not to do it this way. You will never understand the fullness of the gospel while you're on this earth. There's so many aspects of who God is and what he's done that you're going to go. You, you, you can spend the rest of your earthly life investigating what God has done and never reach the end of it. In fact, those that have been in the faith for many years that have done much digging will look you in the eye and go, the more I learn, the more glorious I realize it is. And the more I realize I don't understand, but man, what I've learned is so good. And they understand these words. 
treasure, and ponder. But it's important for others that might come and that you might share with that go, sometimes it holds them back because there's, there's aspects they don't understand. And I tell you, if you're waiting for that, if they're waiting for that, they'll never get there. And sometimes we ought to teach people by example how to treasure what's been revealed and ponder what we're still chewing on. Treasure and ponder. That's the Christian life. It's treasuring and pondering. I want to encourage you to continue in that. If you're sitting there going, I get frustrated because there's so many things I still don't understand. That's, that's okay. That's great, actually. Keep treasuring. Keep pondering. When you meet others that are, I don't know, I don't know if I can treasure this. I don't know if I can pull this in and hold on to it by faith. You say, that's all I'm doing. Sometimes you can be real simple about Here's what I know. I know that Jesus came. God in the flesh. He died on the cross. I, I Many times I throw the word somehow in there. It happens a lot. I have to say it when I share this. I go, and somehow, his perfect sacrifice, through that I'm righteous. By faith. Sometimes when you share it that way, people go, what? And you go, it's so good. I'm freed from the effort of trying to save myself. I'm banking it all on him. I want to encourage you this week to ponder. Treasure. Ponder. Investigate. Dig into these stories of who Christ is. Feel free, anything I've said today, Go, I don't know about that. Investigate it. Dig into it. See if it's true. And when you find out it is, treasure and ponder. Heavenly Father, we want to close today with a word of prayer for everyone in this room, including myself, that we would, Lord, if, if this is true, which I believe it is, Help us to treasure that truth. Help us to treasure this, this specific truth as the most important of truths, from the most important of stories. God, help us to hold on to it and treasure it. Lord, help us to continue to ponder, to plumb the depth those mysteries we don't quite grasp. I pray that we would all do this. Help us to evangelize, carry the good news of great joy out to others in this world. Because we live in a world that needs it desperately. In the midst of a challenging year, it's an opportunity to speak of great joy. Let us not miss these opportunities. In all these things, I just want to close now.
praying in the name of Christ who came to this earth. In his name I ask these things, and I ask your blessing on all that are in this room. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here.